you have landed in a church that's helping people find abundant life in Jesus Christ. And I hope that by the time you leave today, wherever your tank is, it's a little bit more full, if not full to overflowing out of your spirit because God is good, amen? Amen. So uh, as we begin today, I'd just like you to think of some of your favorite stories of all time. Books that have been written that we were forced to read in high school or other places, or maybe you read them by your choice. My mom was a librarian, a media specialist. Books were very important to us in our home. My mom can read so fast. Look at my wife. It's just crazy. It takes me like 10 years to read one book, and they're like, done in 10 minutes. It's, I, it's, anyway, so think of these books. The Odyssey, The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, The Lord of the Rings, mm-hmm. Of Mice and Men, To Kill a Mockingbird, Little Women. Am I saying something you like? I'm getting some, yeah, yeah, say it, say it, uh-huh. uh-huh. Diary of a Wimpy Kid. <laughs> Glory to God and the highest captain under, no, no not that one. <laughs> the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Did I say Pride and Prejudice? Anna Karenina. Yeah, I'm getting excited. My personal favorite, it is a little bit controversial, welcome, good to see you, is uh, this, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> Glory to God in the highest. If you think that book's terrible, I think you're terrible. <laughs> I'm kidding, kind of. I mean, think about it. There's a gospel message in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. The kid is destitute, poor, has nothing. He finds the golden ticket and ends up owning the chocolate factory and the great glass elevator (laughs) and the Oompa Loompas (laughs) and the river of chocolate. Now, people flock by the millions to the unhealthy land of Golden Corral (laughs) for a chocolate wonderfall. Charlie had a river. This has nothing to do with today's message. (laughs) Except I want to share with you today what I personally believe to be the greatest story ever told. By far, in my mind, I'll let you judge for yourself by the time you're done and leave here today. But Jesus himself told this story out of his own mouth. And so if it's possible, don't hear me today. Listen for Jesus Listen to him speak, and as he's telling this story, you can look at it. I'm not going to read it. The words aren't going to be on the screen. I'm just going to tell the story that you can find in Luke chapter 15. And there, Jesus has around him his disciples, but he also has a lot of the religious elite, and he's trying to help them see that they are lost, though they think that they're safe because they've been involved in religion, going to church all these years. And he's trying to help them see. He's also trying to help them see his This is what my dad is like. This is what our home is like. This is what it is in heaven. I I want you to see it. And so he begins to tell the story about two brothers, an older and a younger, obviously, they weren't twins. And the younger brother goes to his wealthy father, check this out, and he says, give me my share of the inheritance now. His share is one-third. The older brother gets two-thirds. That's how they did it back in the old days. Any older siblings here? Like, can we revert to that? That sounds good. Just, yep, money, money, money. Yeah, 
I'm the middle brother, I get whatever, nothing. So he essentially says to his dad, I want to live as if you're dead. I want it to be that I'm alive and have the things that come from you, but I don't want you. I no longer want your authority or your wisdom, though it is your authority and wisdom that garnered you all this wealth. Just give me the wealth. Bless me as I run from you. That's the story of the younger son. I'll take what you have, but I won't take you. Mm-hmm. Kind of crazy. And guess what happens? The father complies. Again, sounds like Jesus. What a bad deal. He gave the son his third share, and the son, Jesus says, gathered all of his belongings. All means all, and that's all all means. All of his belongings. And he left, not across the street, not to the KOA campground just down the road, Jesus said that he departed for a distant land, way out yonder. What's the message here? I'm taking everything and getting as far away from you as possible. I'm leaving nothing here so that you don't have the smallest idea that I might return here. I'm gone again. Give me as I run from. And what does the son do with the fortune? Jesus didn't use this word. We've translated it to this word, and we don't use this word very often, Pastor Drew. I mean, I can't remember the last time you and I were talking and we said this word. This, this is the word. He squandered it. Everyone say squandered. Squander. What is that like? It, Jesus says that he squandered it on wild living or loose living. That's what loose living looks like. How you living? I'm living loose, right? He squandered it. And I don't know that we can fully comprehend what it means to squander something. So I'm going to tell you a story inside the story. Is that okay? Say yes. Yes. David Lee Edwards, not Roth, once won $27 million and five years later he was living in a shed with his wife. In the first year they spent, well the first three months they spent $3 million. The first year they spent $12 million buying things like mansions, plural, High-end cars, plural, plane, singular. (laughs) They blew through it all in five years. And somewhere in the mix of all this, they fell into drugs and addiction and abuse. And 12 years after David Lee Edwards won $27 million, five with money, seven without money, He died penniless and alone in the care of hospice at the age of 58. Wealth squandered, opportunity squandered, a life squandered. That's what squandering feels like. So much opportunity and promise, yet it didn't turn out that way. Squandering on wild living. And then at just the wrong time, disaster strikes. Ever happened to you? Come on. The air conditioning in the house breaks and your daughter's car breaks down. That happened to me the last couple weeks. Same time. Praise God. We have racial tension. We have political tension. 
We have global tension, and in the middle of that, global pandemic. You ever walk through something like that? Yes, you have. You're breathing. Unless you got born last week, which would be pretty awesome. You skipped COVID. Congratulations. (laughs) Just the wrong time, something hits for this man. He's in a distant land, and a famine hits. So that the wealthy have a hard time buying food. Imagine what the penniless people do, such as our boy who squandered his wealth. And something happens to this young man that hasn't happened to him in a long time. (laughs) He begins to be in need. It happened to him when he was born. He needed his parents. But as he grew, he started to take on selfishness. I got this. Let me live my life. But now, even as his wealth, his dad's wealth, has run out, he begins to be in need. I'm going to tell you this, church, today. It's the exact incredible thing that needed to happen to him. It may turn out that this disaster, this famine, actually ends up saving his life because Jesus says when he's telling the story, the young boy in his need came to his senses. What I'm doing is not working. It leaves me frustrated, bitter, isolated, in sin, habitually broken. Am I talking about the son or am I talking about us now? Right? It's not working. And isn't it just like God to allow the hard thing to reveal to us the heaven thing? Isn't it just like God sometimes, not all the time, you don't have to do this, but we hit rock bottom so that we learn to stand on Solid rock. Just saying. Finding out he was in need helped him come to his senses. So what did he do? He gets a job. He went to pig filet. <laughs> I just made that up, as you can probably tell. <laughs> he went feeding pigs. It was his job, which was illegal for a Jew, by the way. It's a sin. It's written in the book, in the law. Don't be near swine. And he was there slopping the swine, feeding them their food. And as he's feeding them, he begins to become jealous of the pigs because they have food. That's how desperate he is. It's hard for us to fathom just his desperation, willing to eat what these nasty animals are eating. They're not nasty animals. They're just in a nasty environment. Have you ever been that desperate? Like if we had a famine in our land and all that was left in your pantry is a can of cat food, would you eat it? That's nasty. It's disgusting. This guy was considering it. That's how desperate he was. And so he comes even further to his senses and he begins to ask the question of himself, will my father allow me to come home? Can I go back? Now, I'm not going back as a son. Clearly, I've ruined that opportunity. I've jeopardized my relationship with the father based on my behavior, so I'm not going back as a son. I'm not even going to be asking to sit at the table. Just allow me to be a servant, because even the servants in my father's house have a roof and have food. Their bellies are full. So I'll go back home. And he sits he sets off for home, and even as he's rounding the, the bend with home in sight, 
here comes a figure running towards him. He's like, wait a second, I, I know that stride, that gait, I know that shape. And as he gets closer, he recognizes it's my dad. Uh oh. We know he thinks, uh oh, based on what he says next. He doesn't say, Dad, what's up? It's me. He braces. He prepares. Don't lose your confidence now. Be humble. Grovel if you need to. Beg for forgiveness. He may be so angry at you. He may turn you away from the church, away from his house based on your behavior. Here it comes. Brace yourself. And then one of the most beautiful scenes in all of Scripture. The father envelops his son, envelops his hurt, envelops his wandering in his embrace and draws him near and kisses him. What? The son apparently doesn't know how to receive this because he immediately starts to rehearse that which he's been rehearsing on his journey all the way back. And he says, Dad, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm not worthy to be called your son. So just let me be your servant. It's like the dad cuts him off. Dad doesn't even talk to the son. He looks at the servant. He says, hey, you know my best robe? Yeah, yeah, that one. Get it. Let's put it on my son. And, and uh, the, the ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on my desk, I think. Uh, I, put it on his finger. And oh my gosh, my son has no shoes. Get him some sandals and bring them here right now. Come on. Do it quick. Oh, you know the fattened calf? The cigar we've been waiting to celebrate with? The fattened calf? That one? Prepare it. We're going to feast. We're going to have a party. Merrymaking ensues. Off in the field, the older brother stands. And he begins to ask the question we started the day with. Pardon me. What's with all the hubbub? What's going on down there in the house? He hears music, he sees dancing, he begins to approach and there's a servant in the field and he asks the servant like, what's going on down there? The servant's like, dude, your dad is going nuts. You remember your brother? That brother? Yeah, the one that left and took your dad's money and all his stuff, the one we heard reports about living loosely in the land far from here. You remember that brother? Yeah, like he's gone, what? The servant says, he's home. Your dad's throwing a party. Older brother marches to his dad, and I'm really paraphrasing all of this, But let me really paraphrase here. He says, what are you doing celebrating this loser when I, the winner, have been here the whole time? And his dad says very important words. He didn't say we should or we wanted to. He says we had to celebrate. 
we are compulsed in our spirit to celebrate and be glad because this son of mine was so lost that we thought he was dead, but here he is, he is found and alive. We had to have a party. At the end of the Civil War, the Union soldiers didn't know what to do with the Confederate soldiers. They had captured many of them, and they wanted to capture all of them. Let's go down south and round them all up. We've been at war. They deserve something not good. What should we do? Should we find them? Should we strip land from them? Should we imprison them? Or maybe we should execute them, but not waste a bullet and hang them from the trees. They didn't know what to do. So the question landed on the desk of one of the wisest people in all of human history, and Abraham Lincoln said to them, in regards to the Confederate soldiers, we shall treat them as if they never left. They didn't have mics back then. Stovepipe height drip. Man. Have you ever found yourself in the land of the prodigal? Have you ever come to your senses and said, I need desire to return to God? But I'm not sure how that interaction is going to go. I've been away a while. I've been dancing in my own funk, and I want to return fully to God, fully to his house, fully to his bride, fully to the people of God, but I feel like when I get there, it's going to be rough. It's going to be Jesus with a paddle behind his back ready to give me a spiritual spanking. Jesus told this story for multiple reasons. We're going to talk about it for the next three weeks, but one of the reasons that he told this story is to ensure us of this, that when anybody comes home, He wanted us to know in the house of God, according to the father of the house, anybody who's coming home, we treat them as if they never left. The return. The return. I want to show you um, one of the world's most famous paintings. You probably have seen it, if not... Uh, the view you're going to have today is not that great just because we're in the high school and this is the best we can do, candidly. Um, But it was painted by a man named Rembrandt. His whole name is way too hard to say, so I'm just saying what everyone else says, Rembrandt. In about 1667, two years before he died, some think it's the last work that he created, and many think that this is the best piece of art ever created because it has a mastery of skill in it, just incredible painting, but on top of that, it evokes such a response in demonstrating the complete deprivation of the sun, yet the all-consuming love and grace of the Father. I give to you Rembrandt's The Return of the Prodigal Son. You have to go see this somewhere else. You can go to St. Petersburg, Russia later. (laughs) Sometime and see it 
for real. You can see the son, he is disheveled, he is without shoes. And by the way, we'll talk about this next week, but servants had no shoes, sons had shoes. And you notice his head, it's not looking down in shame. It's not looking up as if, am I going to be okay? Are we okay? It's buried in the chest of his father, just receiving love. I can only imagine if I were there, I'd be having one of those sobbing cries where weird things come out of your mouth and your nose. True story. And the embrace of the father. Of course, you have the prodigal brother standing over here looking aloofly on, and we'll talk about him in the third week of this series. This is the embrace. This is the love of the father. I want to tell you one last story. Uh, I came across it this past week of a young man, young boy named Jeff, a boy with special needs. He's mostly physically limited. And as he's growing up, his older brother is on the baseball field playing the baseball game. And this young Jeff is like, wow, you're awesome, cheering for his brother. I mean, can you imagine? He just loves his brother out there on the field. Yeah, go, go, go. But sitting on the benches. Until one day, the league makes a brilliant decision to decide, we got to figure out how people with special needs can participate in our league. And they do it, and Jeff's certainly suddenly on a team. They're having practices, and at the end of the practice, they give out uniforms, and Jeff's like, I got a uniform. He can't wait to get home and put it on, so he gets home, and he comes rushing out of the bedroom, and from head to foot, he is decked out in baseball glory. And he stands in front of his mom, fully suited up, And he says to his mom, Mom, I'm finally a real boy. Like, why does that hit us in the heart? It's hitting my heart. Because you all know what I'm about to say. (laughs) His mother has never seen anything other than a real boy. His mother has loved fully this boy, uniform or not, baseball player or not. She loves him not based on what he can do or what he is wearing to present to the outside world. She loves him because he is her son. And that's it. doesn't have to earn love, doesn't have to put on an outward appearance to become a real person worthy of love. What the prodigal son's story teaches us, what the story of Jeff teaches us, it's pretty simple but profound. You don't determine your worth. You do not Determine if you're worthy to be in God's house. You don't, by your actions, disqualify yourself or by your actions, qualify yourself of worth. You were made worthy when Jesus, in his glory, decided to come down to earth and present himself as a living sacrifice, stepping in our place and enduring the cross because he loves you. Not because you've done a single thing, but because he loves you. 
pure and simple. There's a few things about this picture I'm gonna just share real briefly. The son gets there because he recognizes that he needs to move from selfishness to neediness. From selfishness to neediness, which sounds crazy. It sounds like from one bad to another bad. Is it bad to be needy? It's the very best thing. We need to choose to give up our dependence, excuse me, choose to give up our independence for dependence. We live in America, the land of the free, home of the brave. Don't down independence. I'm not downing the dependence. I'm saying you're gonna live most free when you're dependent on God. The prodigal son teaches us. We can go and live it our own way. We can think that we know what's best and I'm gonna do it this way, but often that leads us to these periods of isolation, brokenness, habitual sin, you name it, and bitterness, whatever. We end up here and then we realize, we come to our senses, I need Jesus right now. And moving from selfishness to neediness be the very thing that'll save your life. It is the return home. The second thing is this, the father saw the son coming because the father never stopped looking for the son. We turn our back on, on God and he keeps his eyes on us. He doesn't say, see you later. Bye, Felicia. He has his eyes on you. So the moment that you begin to repent, which means to change your mind. I'm coming to my senses and turn to him. The father is already facing you. He never took his eyes off you. It's time to come home because God is waiting to welcome you. And here's the final thing. The son came home for the things, the food, the shelter, whatever, but he got the father as well. And I don't know if you ever treated God like a vending machine kind of God, but here's the secret. You show up for a bag of Snickers, bag of Snickers, okay, a bag of peanuts, and God says, you can have the whole machine. You can have it all. I am the all. I am Jehovah Shema, the Lord God is there. I am Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God is provider. I am Jehovah Rophi, the Lord God is healer. I am Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. I am Jehovah Nisi, the banner, the victorious banner of love. I am all these things. And you came to me for this little answer, which is important, about a job, a career, about health, a healing, money, finances, whatever. And I'm gonna give that to you. But I'm a, but wait, there's more kind of God and I'm giving all of it, all of me to you. That's what happens when you come home. That's what happens when you return. You get welcomed just, just for being you. You get the love of the Father. It's time to return, come home. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes? And if you've been around church a long time, it's very important to me to usually say this. We are not taking up a religious position here. This is a position of submission and respect. This is a position of focus and meditation to say, God, what do you want to say to me? I got all dressed up and came all this way for Easter. What do you want to say to me, God? Is there any part of you that's been wandering from him? Any part of you that you've kept closed off, it's hardened in your heart. Today's the day that the Lord would speak to you and say, let me have the fullness of you. 
All of you is welcome here. All of you can find healing here. All of you can find restoration. Don't hold anything back. Come home. Return. Just in your own way. Ask the Lord, God, is there any part of me? Let him speak to you. Something you've been holding out. And to make a decision to rise up from that distant land. Come to your senses and come home. The Father is waiting. This is your homecoming. Secondarily, in a room this large with this many people, it may be that there's someone in this room who has yet to receive Jesus as Savior. And if that is you today, I want to tell you today's your day. This is the moment that God orchestrated for you to know that he loves you, he sees you, he's welcoming you home. You don't need to earn it. You've not been too bad. You've not been too gone or too far. He says, just come home. I welcome you as a son, as a daughter. I love you. And that happens for anybody who puts their faith in Jesus and simply says, in belief, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. Saved from your sins. Saved from an eternity apart from God. Saved from a life here on earth without the power of God. You will be saved if you confess and believe Jesus is Lord. So all together on the count of three, I just want the whole house to make that confession kind of louder than you expect. Don't whisper it. Don't mumble it. The count of three, Jesus is Lord. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. It's that simple. That's how you come home. Confess he's Lord. He's Lord. Now with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to take one further step. If you've made that confession today for the first time, or maybe you're making it today for the first time in a long time, There's been some distance between you and your father. He welcomes you home. And I'm going to count to three one more time. And I'm going to ask you to make a bold declaration of faith by just stretching your hand up so that God can see it's me, God. I'm not hiding. I mean, you don't have to raise your hand for God to know. This is for you to know. This is my day. No turning back. I'm coming home. So on the count of three, if that's you, first time today or first time in a long time, Raise your hand with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Nice and bold. There you go. Any others today? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for those who are returning to you. Thank you for those who are being saved, for those who are repentant and finding grace. Pastor Valdemir. Lord, bless those who are being saved. Do not let the seed of God be stolen from these, your children. We rejoice with those who are rejoicing because this son of yours, this daughter of yours was lost, but now they are found, was dead, but now they are alive. This is the Easter message. This is the resurrection message. In the name of Jesus, let all God's people say amen and give a shout of praise to God.